Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Which one of these guys is preparing for combat? Both of these guys have been trained the same. Both of them are willing to go into combat, and one of them is about to go into combat. Which one do you think it is? And what would you think if I told you the soldier on the right is the one getting ready to go into combat, just as he is? Not the one on the left, but the one on the right, going into combat without his helmet, without his Kevlar vest, without his weapon, what would you think about him? Do you think he was suicidal? (laughs) Would you think, man, he's lacking good sense? (laughs) Would you think he's just outright stupid? How many of you are engaging in spiritual combat and you don't have on your spiritual armor? What are you calling yourself this morning? Because you are engaged in spiritual warfare. And if you don't have on your spiritual armor, you're just like that soldier going into combat without his gear, without his armor. And yet we wonder why we experience so much spiritual defeat. We wonder why we are not living a victorious Christian life. While Satan seems to be getting the upper hand on us so much, and yet we're going to combat without our armor, without our gear. We're continuing our series, Survivor Westside. And I told you that the Christian life is much like the television show Survivor, where they are placed in a hostile environment and they have to try to survive against those forces of nature working against them and some of them working against themselves. In the Christian life, we find ourselves in a hostile environment. We're in an ungodly world, and we have the forces of Satan and his demons fighting against us. And yet, we are to survive. But I am desiring that you not only survive, but you thrive in your Christian life, even in this ungodly environment that we find ourselves. And so Paul tells us, that if we will put on the armor that God has provided for us, that we can not only survive but thrive in our Christian life, though we experience constant spiritual warfare. Now, we've already seen three pieces of our spiritual armor. Briefly to review for you, the first was the belt of commitment. As you can see, our soldier here, Uh, His belt hose, uh, his ammunition clip, Uh, he may have his uh, uh, revolver on his belt. It will help him hold his knapsack in place, the harness. And so the belt signifies commitment, integrity. Paul calls it the belt of truth. And for a soldier, truth means you're committed to fight 100%. You're there to fight to the death, to fight to win. Paul says the first thing we need to be serious about as Christians is we need to be willing to fight to the death. We need to be willing to fight to win. 
to fight all the time and not take a break because Satan never takes a break. Secondly, we looked at the Kevlar vest of holy living. Paul called it the breastplate of righteousness. If you're not living a holy life, you've got holes in your bulletproof vest and it's no longer bulletproof. You've got holes in your armor. If you're living in sin, allowing sin in your life, even the smallest sin is a chink in your armor. And no wonder Satan can get in and have successful attacks on you. So we've got to be living holy lives, living in obedience to the Word of God. And then last week we saw the third piece of armor, the shoes of combat boots. And we said this, this was our firm assurance, our firm footing that we are at peace with God. That you're on God's side. He's on your side. You're not at war with God. You're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that's your firm footing. That's the foundation you need to be sure you're standing on. That you're at war with Satan, not with God. You are at peace with God. And that brings us to our next piece of armor today. And that is the shield of faith. And take your Bibles, if you have not already, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'd like to read for you this passage that we might get our verse today, which is verse 16 in the context of what Paul says about our spiritual warfare and the armor that we need to put on. Now, in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand as I read. Beginning in verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, that is a command to allow yourself to be strengthened by the Lord. You remember I told you this passage has the tone of military orders. There are numerous commands in this Scripture passage. Next one is a command. Put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our battle is not primarily against humans, but it's against Satan and his forces. Therefore, because we're fighting a spiritual war against supernatural forces, he says, therefore, and this is another command, take up the full armor of God, that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Next command, verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And again a command in verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You may be seated, and may God bless the reading and the hearing, and most of all the obeying, of His Word. Today we're looking at the door shield of faith. Now the Roman soldiers had two shields. The first one is what I call the trash can lid shield. The gladiator shield. 
That was the one that was the shape of a trash can lid that they would hold up and, and use it to deflect the sword blows of the enemy. But there was another kind of shield that they had that's called the door shield. Obvious reasons. It's shaped like a door. It was about four and a half feet high, two and a half feet wide. It was usually made of a couple of pieces of oblong pieces of wood glued together. And it would even be covered with metal or it would be covered with leather soaked in oil. Now, there are two different Greek words for each of these shields, one for each one. So it's clear what shield Paul's talking about in this passage. And he's not talking about the gladiator shield. He's talking about the door shield of faith. Now, this shield would enable the Roman soldier to crouch behind it for protection. Or they would form a straight line and they would be carrying these shields in front of them. It was known as the Roman phalanx. And they would go against the enemy in just a wall of shields to protect them. Now, there were two main uses for these shields. The first one would be to extinguish the flaming arrows. The enemy archers would have cotton tips uh, or rag tips on their arrows, and they would be dipped in pitch, and they would be set aflame. And then they would shoot those arrows, and the flaming arrows would come... And if they hit a soldier, then they would splatter, much like a a Molotov cocktail, and it would just burn the soldier all over. And so to protect against this, the Roman soldiers would have the door shield, and they would get behind that door shield, and when those flaming arrows would either hit the metal and deflect off, or they would hit the leather soaked in water or in oil, and they would extinguish those flaming arrows. And so that was one of the main purposes of these door shields, to protect the soldiers against those flaming arrows. The second purpose, it was for defense. As the soldiers again would line up shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and they would hide behind these door shields and they would advance. Even much like police do today. And you've seen police in riot situations where they will stand Behind the shield, or they will stand shield to shield, and they will move forward. But what the shield provided was total protection. Now, as far as defensive armor is concerned, the door shield would be the greatest overall protection. As you can see, when that soldier would get behind that shield, he would be totally protected. And so what Paul is referring to, In the shield of faith, he is referring to total protection against our spiritual enemy. Paul says we as Christians are to take up the door shield, the total protection, our main defensive piece of armor against the attacks, the flaming arrows of the enemy. And Paul says that shield is is the shield of faith. He is saying that our greatest defensive piece of spiritual armor is our faith. When the battle gets the fiercest, our greatest protection is our shield of faith. If we will crouch behind our door shield of faith, 
we will be perfectly protected from Satan's fiercest attacks. You see, faith is the key to victory. Over in 1 John chapter 5, we read this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the key to our spiritual victory. If we will get behind that door shell of faith, Satan cannot defeat us. You can deflect every flaming arrow of the enemy, every sword thrust of the enemy, every spear thrust of the enemy. You can successfully deflect if you will crouch behind that shield of faith. So, in your minds, get clearly and firmly planted the crucial nature of this shield of faith we're told to take up. In addition to all, he says, take up the shield of faith. Well, that brings us to the question, what is faith? Because if you're going to take up the shield of faith, you need to understand what faith is. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the definition of faith when it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Conviction of things not seen. Now, what is not seen? Well, what's not seen is the spiritual realm. I doubt if anyone here can see into the spiritual realm, can see angels. There are angels all around us right now in the spiritual realm, but we don't see them. But they're there. Because the spiritual world is invisible to our human eyes. And so Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the conviction. It is the firm belief in the reality of the unseen, of the spiritual. And so I have given you a definition of faith on the screen So, God says, faith is believing the spiritual world you cannot see is more real than the physical world that you can see. Believing that the unseen spiritual world is actually more real, more substantial than the physical world That you can see. Now which came first? The spiritual or the physical? The spiritual world. God. He's spirit. And before there was anything, there was God. And God created the physical. And so the spiritual reality is actually more substantial and more real than the physical reality that we can see. And so to have faith means you believe what God says is true over and against what you might see with your physical eyes. For instance, God says that you are forgiven and cleansed in Christ. He says when you become in Christ, that Christ's blood forgives you of all of your sins. 
Now, that's the spiritual reality. But you might say, but I still feel guilty. You know, I just still feel condemned. Well, if you exercise faith, you will not go on what you feel, but you will go on the more real truth, the more substantial reality of what God says, and that is you are forgiven. By faith, we believe there's a heaven. Nobody's seen it. But God tells us there is a heaven. And so by faith, we believe it. Even though we cannot see it with these eyes. And so faith is believing, taking hold of what God says is true, is reality. Even though it may not square with what your five senses tell you is reality. A missionary back in the late 1800s by the name of John Payton was a missionary in the South Sea Islands. And he was working on a translation of the Bible in the language of the people there. And he was upstairs in his study working. And this native came running up the stairs, totally exhausted. And he just plopped down in the chair and he said, it is so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And then John Payton suddenly realized that's the word for faith that he was looking for. He'd not been able to find a word that would adequately describe faith. That would describe belief and trust. But when this native came in and said, man, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. He immediately knew that's it. That's the word for faith, because what is faith but resting our entire weight on God? Faith means you rest on what God says totally and absolutely. Faith is resting all that you are on God. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your ambitions, all your fears. All your worries, all your problems, all your frustrations, all your discouragements, just resting them on God. Letting God hold them up. That's faith. Putting your entire life in His hands. That's faith. But where do you get faith? Well, the Bible tells us over in Romans ten seventeen. That faith comes from the Word of God. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Listen, this is crucial. Faith always, always, always begins with God's Word. Because you don't know what to believe until God tells you. Because we don't know truth. Unless God tells us what's true. And so faith is not what you want. You can't just want something enough to say, well, I'm going to believe to have it. I just really want that so bad, I'm just going to have faith that God's going to give it to me. doesn't work that way. Faith always starts with God's Word, what God tells you. It is the conviction of things not seen. Well, if it's not seen, you don't know what it is unless God tells you what it is. 
He's the one that looks into the unseen realm, to the spiritual realm. And so faith always starts with God's Word. Now, there are three places that I think we find faith in the Word. First, if you have a need and there's a new covenant promise that speaks to that need, then you can take God at His Word and have faith. If you have a need in your life and there's a new covenant promise, and I say that because you can't just grab any promise out of the Old Testament and say, oh, I'm going to believe this. God made a lot of promises to Israel about living in the promised land that don't apply to you and I today. Now, there's some promises in the Old Covenant that do apply, but there's some that don't. So if there's a promise and it applies to your need, then you can by faith claim that truth. Over in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, we read this, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Key words, faith and patience. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he being Abraham, he obtained the promise. Twenty-five years after God made that promise to Abraham, Isaac was born. Twenty-five years Abraham patiently Waited. Through faith and patience, he inherited the promise. He believed what God said over what his physical body told him, over what his physical eyes told him. And he believed and trusted God. God has promised over in James chapter 1, verse 5, that he will give his children guidance in their lives. It says, But if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, if you have a need for wisdom, if you have a need to know what God's will is for your life in a particular situation, be it a job, should you take this job or not? Should you make this move or not? Should you marry this person or not? Should you go to this college or that college? You have need for guidance. As a new covenant believer... You can take God's promise in James 1 and you can claim it by faith. And God will, in His time, give you guidance. Now, don't expect you claim it this morning and you're going to get guidance this afternoon. You may, but you probably will not. Because God enjoys the process of you getting and seeking Him and spending time with Him. That's what He's more excited about than you getting the guidance. He likes spending time with you. But if you will continue to spend time with God and seek God and pray, God will in His perfect time give you that guidance that you need. He will make it clear what He would have you to do. So that's an example of taking a need you have and claiming a new covenant promise with that. Second way faith comes through the Word is truth that God says about you as a believer. And we've looked at propositional truth, a positional truth that God speaks about us several weeks ago. 
And we as believers are to, by faith, take hold of this truth, even though we may not see it with these eyes in our life. Jesus said, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. You find truth in the word of God. Now, God says something about you over in Galatians 2.20. He basically says, if you're a Christian, Christ lives in you. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, Paul says that as a believer, Christ lives in us. Now, you say, well, how can Christ live in me? I thought he's in heaven. And there are all sorts of questions or all sorts of doubts that your five senses can have about Christ living in you. But remember what faith is? The conviction, the assurance of things not seen. You believe that Christ lives in you because God says Christ lives in you, even though you can't see it, because that's what faith is. Third place you can find faith is when God gives you a particular word for your situation. The rhema. When He says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, it's using the the word Greek word rhema for the, for the translation of the English word. This is when God speaks to your particular situation and gives you a particular word about your situation. If you've ever had it happen, there's nothing like it. You're wrestling with a situation, you're wrestling with a problem, and you're seeking the Lord, and all of a sudden you're reading in the Bible and He takes a verse and it just jumps over you. And hits you like a bolt of lightning. Grabs you like a new pair of plows. I mean, you know God has spoken. It's no question in your mind. God has given you reality. And then you take that truth and you hold on to it. And you believe it regardless of what you're seeing in the physical world. Because God told you the truth and the reality in the spiritual world. Well, Paul had this happen to him when he was on a ship on the way to Rome. And the ship got into a... Awful storm. I mean, this storm was so bad. These guys were, being, were going on two weeks with this storm, so continual. They had not eaten anything, couldn't eat. They had thrown all the cargo overboard. They had actually abandoned all hope of even living through this storm. It was so bad. But right in the midst of that, God gave Paul a word. You find it over in Acts 27, beginning with verse 22. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, Paul is speaking to the sailors. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you and all those who are sailing with you. Now that was a particular word. God gave Paul in his situation. And Paul believed it. And he conveyed that word to the rest of the sailors and to the soldiers on the ship. And he said, God's going to see us through. He's given me the message. When everything looked humanly hopeless and impossible, 
when all others had given up all hope of even surviving the storm, Paul stood before him and said, don't worry. God's given me a word. Paul believed the unseen, the spiritual reality over the physical reality. So, faith comes from the Word of God. You have a need, and there's a new covenant promise that meets that need. Grab hold of that promise and through patience and faith claim it. There's truth God says about you and His Word, about you being forgiven, about you being a child of His, about Christ living in you, on and on and on. Hold on to those. Believe them regardless of what you see. And then there are those times when God speaks to your situation in a particular way. Now that brings us to the next question. What are the flaming arrows of the evil one that Paul says that shield of faith protects us from? Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we have an indication of what these flaming arrows are. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There we have it. He says, first, speculations. That means imaginations, reasonings, arguments. Lofty things, doubts, fears, questionings. Anything contrary to the truth of God. You see, the battleground is our mind. The flaming arrows that Satan shoots at us are those doubts, those questionings, those vain imaginations, those worries, those fears that we have about our situation. God tells us one thing, but Satan starts throwing these questions and these doubts and these fears... And everything in our physical world looks contrary to what God has said. And the flaming arrows start coming. You see, we are by nature physical creatures. We're born into this physical world. God gives us five senses. And it is with these five senses that we relate to this physical world. We grow up doing that. You look outside, it looks cold. You stick your hand out the window or you go outside and it feels cold. So what do you do? You're going to put a coat on. You're using your senses to relate to your world. We do it all the time. It's okay in the physical world to do that. God made us to do that. But the problem is we get so dependent on our physical senses that we rely totally on them and we believe them over what God says is true In the unseen world. And that's where the flaming arrows come in. God tells you something. And He gives you a a promise about your situation. And lo and behold, what happens? It gets worse. I mean, it gets worse. (laughs) And you start thinking, well, wait a minute. And the devil starts shooting those arrows. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right, let me give you an example. God tells you over in Romans 8:28 All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now God's promise he will work all things out for good if you're a Christian. You get in a situation and I mean that situation is so bad 
Satan shoots an arrow and says, this is too bad for any good to come out of it. There's no way any good can come out of the situation. That arrow goes at you. And then he shoots another arrow. There's no way you think I can see how any good could come out of this situation. God, it's just too bad. There is no way. And then he shoots another arrow. God, this is so bad, you can't even handle it. It's beyond what you can do. So there you are. Getting assaulted with the fiery darts, flaming arrows of Satan. Now what are you going to do? You put up the shield of faith. And you get behind that shield. And you say, devil, God said, He causes all things to work together for good. And I'm going to believe Him. I don't care what I see going on around me. I don't care how bad it looks in my situation. I don't care how hard it is to live in this situation. I am going to believe God and put up my shield of faith and believe that God's going to bring good in this. I may never realize or see what it is in this life, but that doesn't matter because I'm not walking according to these eyes. I'm walking according to the eyes of faith. And I have my shield of faith up and it will extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan. All right, now let's say, how do you get behind the shield of faith? First, renew your mind in God's Word. Take the word that God gave you, which is the reality. That's the truth, what God tells you in His word. So when you start, those flaming arrows start coming, you go back to the word. You say, but God said. But God said. Because what you happen, then you start looking at the physical world, and the arrows start coming, and you've got to go back to God's reality. So first, you renew your mind in God's word. Secondly, you refuse to doubt. I've been in situations where I didn't really know how to believe God in the situation, but I could refuse to doubt. And I could say, God, I don't really know how to believe you in this situation exactly, but I refuse to doubt you. I know you will fulfill your word. And then thirdly, act in faith and obedience. That is a key. What you really believe is what you will do, how you will act. And when you're acting on the spiritual reality rather than the physical reality, then that's faith. Give me an example. Remember Noah? God came to Noah and told him he was going to send the flood. Over in Hebrews 11, chapter 7, excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 7, we, the Bible says, By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. What had not yet been seen? God said, we're going to have a flood. Noah had never seen a flood. In fact, Noah had never seen rain. That's right. A canopy of clouds covered the earth. There was a mist. It's kind of like a greenhouse effect, but there was no rain before the flood. Never. And God said there's going to be a flood? What's a flood, God? That's when I bring water down out of the sky. Rain. What's rain, God? And the water gets so high, it just floods everything. He'd never seen it. He couldn't go on what these eyes had seen, what these senses had told him, but rather he took what God said as truth 
that God was going to send a flood. In reverence, in fear of God, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah believed God was going to send a flood even when it didn't look like God was going to send a flood because God said He was going to send a flood. And that's faith. Living according to God's reality, God's truth, the unseen world. And you can believe Satan shot his flaming arrows at Noah. What are you doing there, Noah? Building an ark. Why are you building an ark, Noah? There's going to be a flood coming. What's a flood, Noah? It's when the rain comes down out of the sky. Water comes down out of the sky. What? Water out of the sky? That's never happened. Everybody's laughing at Noah, making fun of Noah. He's the biggest joke around, building this big old boat out in the desert. But he continued to believe God and act in faith, obedience to what God said over what his eyes could tell him. Take another example. Look at Joshua. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You remember that story? Here Joshua is looking over the big city of Jericho. Massive walls. Walls so thick that two chariots side by side could go on the top of the walls. Impossible for them to penetrate those walls, but yet they had to gain the victory or they could never take the promised land. This was the first fortress that faced them when they crossed over the Jordan. So Joshua's looking over it. Jesus appears to him as a captain of the Lord's host. And he says, Joshua, this is what you do. Take your soldiers, march around the city of Jericho one time each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around seven times, blow the trumpets, shout, and the walls are going to just come tumbling down without you touching them. Now, can you imagine when Joshua went back and pulled his generals together and said, Guys, i got the battle plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around that city one time a day for six days. Not going to touch them. Not going to just go march. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. And I guess the generals are saying, okay, here it comes. And then we're going to shout and blow the trumpets. And they keep waiting for the charge. We never said that. And the walls are going to come tumbling down. But Joshua believed God by faith. He took what God said is reality over what his eyes and senses told him. And you can imagine the enemy hurled his flaming arrows and said, Joshua, you're a fool. Those massive walls are never going to come down by themselves. That's the stupidest thing. You're going to make yourself look like a fool in front of all your, your captains. But Joshua chose to believe God and to obey God's Word. Sarah, another example. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 11, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Remember, Sarah was 90. Abraham was 100. God said they were going to have a kid. And the enemy shot his flaming arrows at Sarah. You say, well, how do you know? Well, the Bible tells us about it over in Genesis 18. 
Look at what it says. And God appeared to Abraham. And he said, this is God speaking, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, ladies, can you appreciate that? Here God is talking to Abraham, and what's Sarah doing? She's behind there listening. What are they talking about? Well, she hears it. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Remember, she was 90. He was 100. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become so old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being so old also? That was a flaming arrow right there. She looked at her body, 90 years old. She looked at old Abe, 100 years old. And she started laughing, no way. No way. She chose to believe her, what her eyes told her, over what God told her. Opposite of faith. She hadn't put up the shield at that point. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, and at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he, God said, no, but you did laugh. But thankfully, Sarah ended up putting her shield of faith up, because the writer of Hebrews says, again, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now sometime from the time that that conversation took place and the time she conceived, she put up that shield of faith and said, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to look at my old body. I'm not going to look at old Abe's body. I'm going to believe God. And because she had faith in God and acted in faith in God, she conceived, the Scripture says, miraculously. Because faith releases the power of God into our situation. Back a number of years ago, back in 1983, I was pastoring in Phoenix City, Alabama at the time, and a church in Atlanta was talking to me about coming up and being their pastor. They had come a couple of years earlier, and I had said, no, I just really don't think God's in this at all. They'd gotten another pastor. He had had a heart attack and died, and so they were back seeing me again. And I said, well, let me, let me just, I'm willing to pray about it, but uh, I need to hear from the Lord. Well, we kept talking, and, and I kept telling them, go and look, and if you can't find anybody you like better, then come back. And I told them this a couple of times, and they kept coming back. And I said, okay, tell you what, let's do. I'll come up, and let me preach starting on Sunday, and I'll preach all the way through Wednesday night. Because I wanted to make sure I knew them, and I wanted to make sure they had a chance to hear me. So we agreed to do that. Well, in the meantime, I was continuing to pray and seek the Lord to see what His will was. And during that time, God gave me a word out of Revelation chapter 3, 
where I was reading in my quiet time one day and came upon this passage. And that was one of those where God just took it and hit me in the face with it. And he just said to me, this is for you. Verse 8 of Revelation 3. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. And God said to me, I have opened that door for you. You'll be going to that church as their pastor, and no one can shut that door. And once he said that, then I had to get behind the shield of faith and say, okay, I'm going to believe God. Now, I'd already arranged to go up and do the revival, so I had to do that. But I knew I didn't even have to go up there anymore. I knew it was what God's will was. I didn't need to go up there and even see the people. I knew what he wanted. So I went up there, and, and I was preaching, and, and God was dealing with me saying, now, you remember, faith is to act like it's so because God said it is so, even when it doesn't appear to be so. And so I said, God saying, now, if, how are you going to act in faith in this situation? If, how are you going to act in faith knowing, believing that you're actually coming here when you're just up here doing this revival? Well, the pastorium, they had a pastorium, and we wanted a ceiling fan uh, in the uh, family room. And so I sense God say, look, if you really believe you're coming up here, you need to go out and buy that fan and go ahead and give it to them and have them put it in the, uh, and tell them to have it ready to be put in the pastorate. So I went out and purchased a fan, over $100 with my own money. Now, folks, when you don't know me, but that is, that's an act of obedience. I'm putting it out there. And so I bought this fan, uh, and I put it in my trunk. Because I read it, here's the problem. When you have the faith and God's spoken to you, people who hadn't gotten that word, it looks like you're being presumptuous. See? Because I was going to have to give this fan to the chairman of the search committee and say, look, God's told me I'm coming, even though y'all hadn't voted yet. God's told me I'm coming, so you keep this fan, and when y'all vote, put it up, would you, in the pastorium for me. Because, you know, he might think, well, that guy's kind of cocky. We ain't even voted yet. But... When you got God's word, you got to act in obedience, right? So, on Wednesday, we got ready to leave. We were winding up. I handed him the fan. I said, I know you're probably going to think this is a little bit off. Uh, you don't quite understand it, but trust me, God has spoken to me. He's told me I'm coming, so I want you to take this fan. And once the church votes, if you'll put it up, I'll appreciate it. Well, on the Saturday before they were to vote on Sunday, I got a phone call. And the chairman of the search committee said, uh, we've had something develop in the church. It seems that the fellow who was the associate pastor wanted to be the pastor. And he'd already circumvented the search committee with one guy they had brought in. And the church uh, did not vote him in. Well, he had sent a letter that all the members of the church got on that Saturday before they would have voted on me on Sunday, saying how he believed that God wanted him to be the pastor of the church, how uh, some of the search committee members had lied to him and some of the people in the church had lied to him, and that he was going to be bringing a motion before the church, before they voted on me, he was going to bring a motion to put my vote off so they could consider him as pastor. Now, as soon as I hung up that phone, you know what the old enemy did. He started shooting his arrows, you idiot. Look what's going on there. That guy's going to get the other church turned against you, blah, 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 blah. But you know, I put up the shield of faith. I said, now, wait. God knew when he gave me that word 
He was opening the door that no man could shut. He knew that this was going to happen. He knew that associate wanted to, to be the pastor, and he had not even moved his books out of the church, out of the pastor's office. He'd moved them in there in the interim period, and he hadn't taken them out. And, and he knew all that. And so I just got behind the shield of faith, and I said, Devil, I don't care what you say. God says he's opened the door that no man can shut. And I had perfect peace about it. Well, the next day, sure enough, he brought the motion, but it didn't pass. And so they voted on me, and the history after that, the Lord brought us. But that's just one example of when God has spoken, you get behind the shield of faith, you believe what God has said over against what you can see, and when the Satan shoots those flaming arrows, they get extinguished. They cannot land and take their target because you're believing what God says. Now, I don't know what you're going through in your life. It may be that, that you need to put up the shield of faith against the flaming arrows about Satan saying, you're not forgiven, you're condemned, you're no good, this, that, and the other. And you need to just get behind the shield of faith and say, God says I'm His child. God says I'm forgiven. God says nothing can separate me from His love. God says... He is with me and He'll never forsake me. God says my time are in His hands. God says He'll meet my every need according to His riches. Whatever it takes, you get behind that shield of faith and you continue to renew your mind in the Word, you continue to refuse to doubt, and you act in obedience on what God says. And you will extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can put up the shield of faith and that that is the greatest single defensive piece of armor we have. That we can crouch behind it and be totally protected against all Satan might want to assail against us. For faith is the victory. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you today. If you never come to that place in your life that you have surrendered to Jesus as your personal Lord and trusted Him as your Savior, I want you to invite you to do that today. If you just desire Christ more than anything, you desire to walk with Him, you're willing to turn away from anything in your life that might not be pleasing to Him, now He doesn't say you have to turn away from it first because you cannot. But if you'll come to Him, be willing. He'll give you the power to turn away. Come to Him in simple faith and trust. Believe He's done everything necessary for you to have your sins forgiven and to have a place in heaven. If you need to come and pray about something going on in your life, you feel free to do that as well. As we stand and sing,